If you've got a Bible with you, I'd like to turn to the Gospel of John and the 10th chapter. John's Gospel, chapter 10. It's nice to be with you back in the west of Scotland. John 10, verse 10. I'm reading from the ESV, and this is God's Word. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who doesn't own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge have I received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is God's word. Security is one of the great talking points of the 21st century. Phone hacking at the highest level in government circles has taken place. Cyber security cannot be guaranteed. We've got cameras in the shopping and commercial areas in the UK, everywhere. In the UK, it's actually estimated there are 4 million CCTVs in place, one for every 14 people in the country. Financial security is a problem. Personal security, a huge issue. When you travel by air, you have to go through security again and again. Even the Queen in Buckingham Palace had her security breached a few years ago she woke up somebody was in her bedroom 
At the Paris Conference in 2015, the climate deal reached by 190 countries was reported as being, and I quote, the best chance we have to save the one planet we have. Apparently, civilization has not really civilized us. Life is very uncertain, and many of us feel very insecure. When David Attenborough spoke at the uh, Climate Change Conference in Katowice in Poland recently, he said global warming is the greatest threat to humanity in thousands of years. The collapse of civilizations and the extinction of much of the natural world is on the horizon. It's a man-made disaster of global scale. Security. What about eternal security? If there's a question mark over these other securities, what about eternal security? Which category would we put that into? The impossible? <coughs> the Bible tells us that God has put eternity in our hearts, hasn't he, in the book of Ecclesiastes? That's why nothing in this world that is of this world can satisfy any of us at the deepest level. But is there such a thing as eternal security? Yes, there is. You open this book that I trust you brought with you, the Bible, this book that God has given to us. Thankfully, it's one of the themes he speaks to us about. It keeps on popping up as you flick through the pages. No place more so than here in John chapter 10, where Jesus introduces himself as the good shepherd. He's got much to say to his followers in this chapter. They're referred to as being his sheep. He's got much to say of them. He's got much to say to them. But I just want to draw your attention to four words that he applies to them. To all of them, he said, they shall never perish. What's that? That's eternal security. They shall never perish. He didn't say they'll never wander and backslide. He didn't say they'll never stumble and fall. He didn't say that they'll never get sick or they'll never die. He didn't say they'll not get any difficulties and they'll never get distracted. He said they'll never perish. They can grow cold in their relationships, of course, with them. They can become apathetic. They can become lukewarm. They can murmur. They can complain. They can go through periods of mediocrity in their Christian lives. They can be disobedient at times. They can be negative. They can be critical. They can be sorely tempted. They can fall to the lowest depths. They can say silly things. They can do crazy things. They can be awkward. They can be thrown. They can be stubborn. They can be difficult. They can be unwise. They can be unfaithful. They can be unprofitable servants. They can be unloving. They can be ungracious. And sometimes they can be very unlike the Lord Jesus. They're not perfect, these sheep. They're a work in progress. They've been forgiven, but they're not a finished article. 
But if they are his sheep, it's a big if. If they are his sheep, if they can say from the heart and not just with the lips, the Lord is my shepherd, then he can say of them, they shall never perish. They've got what money can't buy. They've got what the world can't give. They have what no one can take away from them, neither disease, nor doubts, nor dementia, nor depression, nor death, nor even the devil himself can rob them of this great blessing. They have security. Eternal security guaranteed by Almighty God himself. However, in saying that, it presents us with a very important question that needs to be very carefully answered. The question is this. Who exactly are his sheep? Who are these people who are referred to as the sheep of his pasture? Who are these people who can say in all honesty, hand on heart, the Lord is my shepherd? That's the question that needs to be answered. The standard is higher than we think. Some people think that if they make a profession of faith, you know, ticking a box, making a decision, they're bound for heaven. Are they? Where do you read that in the Bible? Some people, they go down the other end of the transaction. They think if they sin overtly, if they sin disgracefully, even once in their lives, they've committed the unpardonable sin. And they're bound for hell. Where do you read that in the Bible? Many godly Christians have different views in some of these things. There are some people who bleat like sheep but they certainly don't behave like them. What does the Bible say about this? We need to take the warning passages in the epistle to the Hebrews, for example, very seriously. Hebrews 6. We've got there what some people think is the clearest description of a Christian in the whole of the New Testament. The writer there in Hebrews 6 talks about those who've been enlightened, they've tasted the heavenly gift, they share in the spirit, they've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. But in actual fact, when you take the time to examine all these things, those things were true of Judas Iscariot. And we know what he did. And we know what happened to him. That's why we need to take the issue seriously, carefully answer the question, who who are his sheep? Who are the sheep of his pastor of whom he writes here in John 10? What are the things that really belong to salvation? What are the distinguishing marks of a biblical Christian? We need to be very serious about this because John Bunyan, no less, a man who didn't believe you could be saved and lost, John Bunyan said in his classic book, Pilgrim's Progress, didn't he, that there was a way to hell from the gates of heaven as well as from the city of destruction? Bunyan. So what I want to do this morning 
Five things. You can remember them in your five fingers. Five things from this passage that we've just read help us to identify those who are God's sheep. Now the first one, very few opponents to this one. They believe in Jesus. If I said, hands up those who believe in Jesus, I'm sure they would all go up. God's sheep are those who believe in Jesus. You would expect faith in Jesus to be one of the things that marks these sheep out as being God's sheep. There's a sense, isn't there, in which faith is the only mark that is of absolute fundamental foundational importance. But you need to be careful how you understand that statement because do we not read in the Bible that the devil believes and trembles? He's not an atheist. And he's not a believer either in terms of salvation. The Jews asked Jesus a pointed question in the passage we just read there. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And he replied in verse 25, I did tell you, but you don't believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name, they speak for me, but you don't believe because you're not my sheep. And you could say that, well, by implication then from that statement, those who are a sheep are those who do believe. Those who are a sheep are those who, who will believe, and that's true. But we can go further than that. The fact of the matter is, the Bible, and we all know this, categorically and consistently states this very truth. That if we're saved, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's not an implication. It's not a supposition. It's a declaration. It's a proclamation. It's a revelation. God's sheep are those who have saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not depending on religion. They're not depending on respectability. They're not relying on their, up, their upbringing or their background. Those who are really and truly his sheep, they're not trusting in self-improvement. They're not trusting in their self-righteousness. They're not relying on the fact that they do good works. They're not relying on the fact that they go to church even twice on a Sunday. They're not relying that, on the fact that they may have made a decision at some point in the past. Even accompanied by supernatural signs sermon on the mount Lord, Lord, we've done this, that and the other in your name I never knew you, he said they trust in Christ alone and what he did for them on the cross to save them from their sins faith alone what must I do to be saved? believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved didn't Jesus say in John 14, you believe in God? Well, believe also in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We know these verses, and there are dozens of them like that in the Bible. God's sheep, who are they? They are those who believe in Jesus. But as Martin Luther and many others have said down through the centuries, salvation is by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. And this passage that we've just read together goes on to prove the point. Does it not? God's sheep believe in Jesus, but God's sheep are also those who listen to Jesus because they now believe in Jesus. Didn't he say, my sheep listen to my voice? And that's the second point. I want to know if I'm one of God's sheep. I'm 77 years of age. I know I don't look at it. But I am. 
I haven't got long to go. And I'm looking out and neither have some of you. <laughs> but we want to be sure. We want, I want to know if I've got eternal security. Well, listen to what the Bible has to say. They listen now to Jesus, these sheep. That's the thrust of the message, isn't it? The Father spoke from heaven into the ears of those disciples who were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration, remember? When they saw his glory, Mark chapter 9, Peter, James and John, they never forgot that mountaintop experience. Peter and John went on to write about it. John in the fourth gospel, Peter in one of his epistles, they tell us they saw his glory when they were up there. They were eyewitnesses to his majesty when they were up there. But there was a message from heaven when they were up there from the Father. Do you remember what it was? This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. We can all sometimes say, you know, when we're listening to other people speak, I hear what you're saying. Well, then we so often go on to speak our own mind and do our own thing. In other words, we hear, but we're not really listening because we've got our own agenda and our own ideas and our own opinions. But this is different in John chapter 10. To hear in this passage means to really listen. It means to, to hearken. It means, as we've just been learning with the children, to put into practice what you hear. You can't believe in Jesus and continue to do your own thing, can you? You can't believe in Jesus and still have your own agenda, can you? You can't believe in Jesus and not want to go on and live a holy life, can you? Jesus said in that parable of the wise and the foolish builders in the Sermon on the Mount, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, but it didn't fall because it had its foundation on a rock. On the other hand, the foolish man, he also heard the words of Jesus. He's not some unreached person from a tribe in Papua New Guinea here in Matthew 7. He hears the words of Jesus but he doesn't put them into practice. They go in one ear and out the other. He's not really listening. Jesus tells us that that man's house fell with a great crash when the storms came. So this point is extremely important, is it not? His sheep believe in him, but his sheep also listen to him because they now believe in him. They seek to put into practice what he tells them. Okay, they may not do it perfectly, none of us can, but they seek to do it diligently, at least and continually and sincerely. They believe in Jesus, but as a result of that, they listen to Jesus. They listen to him. They listen to what he has to say, for example, on discipleship. They listen to what Jesus has to say on fellowship. They listen to what Jesus has to say on the subject of worship. They listen to what Jesus has to say on being a member of his body. They listen to what he has to say on marriage, on money, on materialism, on ministry, on mission, and we could go on. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that the gospel is faith plus works equals salvation. I am saying that salvation is by faith alone, but that faith does not stand alone. It works. 
And one of the ways it works is we now listen and we seek to put it into practice. But he doesn't stop there. Who are his sheep? Those who believe in Jesus, yes. Those who listen to Jesus, now, yes. Those who know Jesus. It says in verse 27, they listen to his voice and he knows them. But back in 14 it says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Now you would expect Jesus, being the good shepherd, that he knows his sheep. Of course he does, by name. Didn't God say to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you? But Jesus also makes it clear that his sheep know him. That is what it means to have eternal life, isn't it? We've got friends down in the Midlands of England. They set up a home for children a number of years ago, children with special needs. One day we were visiting them. And Fred, that's the guy who set it all up, he took us to the back of the buildings where they were, and he said, John, watch this. There was a field, there were sheep scattered all over the place. He said, watch this. And he shouted. And they came from all over the field to him. They not only knew his voice, they knew him. I could have shouted all day. I could have stood there all day. They wouldn't have come to me. But they came to him. They knew him. And that's really what eternal life is by way of definition, isn't it? I think sometimes we get this all muddled up, you know, especially when we're young in the faith. Eternal life is to know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent into the world to be our Savior. Eternal life is not something that happens to you after you die. If this doesn't happen to us before we die, we'll certainly not know what it means after we die. It's something you experience before you die when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, saving faith. It's not just about living forever and ever. It's having a personal relationship with Jesus. You say, where do you get that from? John 17. Jesus in that high priestly prayer. Father, the time has come, he says. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. You granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You want a definition of eternal life? There it is there. When John Knox, the great John Knox, was dying in Edinburgh, he said to his wife, Rax me out your own big book, he said, and read me where I first cast my anchor. And it was that passage in John 17 she read to him, because that's the passage that God used to bring him out of darkness into his marvelous light. Can you see what I'm trying to say here? Can you, can you hear what Jesus is saying here? Eternal life is synonymous with knowing the true and living God. It's not just something that goes on forever and forever. We're not talking here about intellectual knowledge, academic knowledge. It's not just knowing about Jesus. It's knowing him. It's an intimacy of knowledge. So who are these sheep? Who are these people to whom he says, they shall never perish? Who are they? They are those who believe in Jesus. They are those who listen to Jesus. They are those who know Jesus. He doesn't stop there. 
they are those who follow Jesus. You look at verse 27 and 28 again. My sheep, those who believe in me, they listen to my voice. I know them, yes, and they know me. And they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. I'm not a farmer. I couldn't be just like Samuel. I couldn't be a teacher either. But I know that shepherds mark their sheep. Professor Douglas McMillan came from Arden, American, up in the West Coast. Some of you will have heard of him. Before he ever became a professor, he was a shepherd. He then, of course, became a free church minister. When he was converted, he became a professor in the Free Church College in Edinburgh. But Douglas, on one occasion, he was traveling from where he was in Arden, American, I think down towards Edinburgh. I don't know whether he was in a car or in a bus or in a train or what. But he's passing by a hillside and he said, I could see my sheep, I could pick them out. There were other flocks on the hillside, but he could pick his sheep out because he knew their marks. God's sheep are marked. They're marked in the ear. They listen. They're marked in the feet. They follow. They have ears to hear. But they also follow. They begin to walk with him. They begin to walk in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. They not only come to him when he calls, but they come after him. The shepherd is there to lead the sheep from the front. They follow him. A stranger they will not listen to, he tells us, but they'll listen to the voice of the shepherd. Now, you all know that in our country, the shepherd normally drives his sheep from the rear, but in the Near East and in the Middle East, the shepherd leads his sheep from the front and the sheep follow. And uh, that's the way it's to be. So who are these people called Christians? They're genuine believers, yes. They're obedient listeners. They seek to be. They're intimate knowers. They want to know Jesus. But like the Apostle Paul, they want to know him more and more and more. And they want to follow. All biblical Christians are sincere followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you don't say, oh, here are Christians here. And they're saved, all right, but here are the disciples over here. Christians are disciples, or they're not Christians. And all biblical Christians will follow. I don't know whether the name Paul Mallard means anything to you or not. He spoke at a number of the faith mission conventions that I was at. He tells the story in one of his books, a group of tourists that are in Israel... And the guide is pointing out some of the cultural things about the country. And one of the things he's telling them is that, you know, sheep here, they're not driven from the rear, but the shepherd leads them from the front. And as he's talking, one of the tourists notices some sheep coming down the road towards them. And he notices that there's a man at the rear, he's not at the front. And he points it out to the guide. And the guide says, oh, hang on a wee minute. And he goes over and he has a chat with the man. He comes by, he says, don't worry. That man's not a shepherd. He's a butcher. <laughs> Shepherds would have been at the front. Brothers and sisters, friends here, are we working out our own salvation with fear and trembling? Knowing it's God who works in us, both to will and to do of, of his good pleasure. Is discipleship part of our lives? Are we really following? 
Jesus said in Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and he doesn't hate his father and mother, in other words, doesn't love him more than he loves them, his wife, children, brothers, sisters, his own life, he can't be my disciple. Anyone who doesn't carry his cross and follow me can't be my disciple. Anyone who doesn't forsake all and he has can't be my disciple. Oh, we can be Baptists. We can be Presbyterians. We can be ministers. We can be good living and we can be very religious, but we can't be his disciples unless we come as we are to him as he is and trust him, listen to him, and know him, and follow him. In motoring terms, Jesus comes into the driving seat, not the passenger seat, where you get a few helpful directions now and again, especially if your wife's there. Or the back seat, you know, if somebody's sitting and make a few comments on your driving, or the luggage of life. No, no, Jesus is in the driving seat. And he calls us to die to our own will so that we might know his will to be good, pleasing, and perfect. We're trying to find out who God's sheep are. There'll be no Baptists in heaven. No Presbyterians. No people from the Brethren. The people who will be there, whatever their labels, will be his sheep. One final thing. They belong to Jesus. That's number five. See, the climax to all this is there in 28 and 29. He says, I give them eternal life. Who? Those who believe, those who listen, those who know, those who follow. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And it's clear from what Jesus has already said and what he's saying here that these sheep are his sheep because the Father has given them to him as a gift and they belong to him. They belong to Jesus. They are the sheep for whom the shepherd has died. He can say of every one of them, fear not, don't be afraid. I redeemed you. I called you by name. You are mine. These are the ones the Holy Spirit has regenerated and to whom Jesus has given eternal life. These are the ones who know him. These are the ones who follow him. These are the ones who listen to him. These are the ones who continue to believe in him. These are the ones who belong to him. You know that old hymn? Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. No one, he says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. And he adds, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. If that's not eternal security, would you like to tell me at the door when you're going out what it is? Eric Alexander, some of us will know a great Presbyterian preacher, He's in retirement just now, whatever that means. But he was telling the story. In one of his books, he tells the story of an old Scottish minister visiting an elderly member of his congregation, and the, the lady's dying. But she's very alert. She's very conscious. The minister knows her well and is aware of her deep knowledge of God. So he comes into the house, as pastors do. Mary, he asked her, what if at the last the Lord were to desert you? Ah, oh, minister, that would never be. Because you see, he would lose far more than I would. How so, asked the minister. 
Well, she said quietly, I might lose my soul if he were to forsake me, but he would lose his honor, and that could never be. And I would submit to you, as we go through 2019 and whatever's ahead of us, on such a glorious truth, founded, grounded on the honor of such a gracious, loving, holy, utterly faithful God, we can securely rest our case for all eternity. There's a great hymn. We're not singing it, but I'm going to give you just one verse as I finish. My name from the palms of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart, it remains in marks of indelible grace. Yes, I to the end shall endure, as sure as the earnest is given. They're more happy, but they're not more secure, those glorified spirits in heaven. Are you one of his sheep? Do you believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation? It's our only hope. Nobody else has died for our sins. Nobody else has conquered death. Nobody else gives us hope for the future. Are you trusting in him? Well, if you are really savingly trusting in him, you'll listen to what he has to say to you. You'll know him and you'll want to know him more. You'll follow him. And you'll know that you belong to him and nobody can pluck you out of his hand. Father, grant that our hearts, our minds, our souls would be good, good soil today for the good seed of your word. May we be those who put it into practice. For Jesus' sake. Amen.